and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each week, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Hi, Matthew. Oh, hi, Alison, and we've both managed to keep ourselves in the sunny state of Queensland uh, this week. We have. It's a nice place to be. Yeah. Matthew, we're about to hit Cup Day, and Cup Day is always an RBA decision day. And I think the pressure's really building for the RBA governor, and it's going to be her first big test. You know, she's newly in the chair, and last week she made her first official speech as RBA governor, and she struck a bit of a hawkish tone, I thought. And in particular, what caught my eye was she made a comment that the board will not hesitate to raise cash rates further if there's a material revision to the outlook for inflation. I think that's particularly interesting because since that time, we've had the release of the CPI for the September quarter in Australia, which was quite a bit stronger than market expectations. So question, Matthew, putting you on the on the hook here, was it strong <laughs> enough to force the RBA's hand on Tuesday? Are we going to see a rate rise? Yes. Oh, good answer. <laughs> so no sitting on the fence here. Look, yeah, it was a miss. It was a miss against consensus. And it was a miss against our expectations. I'd quibble with you a little bit about how big that miss was. It was about 0.1% against, you know, market expectations, our expectations. But when you look at the RBA's forecast, it was it was a much bigger miss. You know, it came yes. out. Yeah, that, I think that's what you're referring to. Indeed. And I'd agree yeah. with you there, you know. So the one thing you've got to remember about those um, RBA forecasts, and I think the miss is like 30-odd basis points, you know, 1.2 was the outturn versus 0.9, which is the RBA's mm-hmm. look. And that's a bigger miss. But the RBA's forecasts, Alison, were completed back in August, and no doubt they've been working on those forecasts day and night, and they've been updating them for their November uh, statement of monetary policy. That's when they usually release their uh, their latest forecasts, and that'll come out actually on the Friday after Cup Day after the next meeting. Now, what we think will happen is when you look in those November SOMP uh, forecasts, you'll see the material revision to the outlook for inflation that Governor Bullock was referring to. As you correctly pointed out, you've honed in on exactly the right thing in that speech. You'll see that upgrade. I think the other thing of concern to the RBA will be what's happening in the market with inflation expectations. Now, you know, we follow that quite carefully, uh, closely in financial markets with your um, team in state investments. And we've seen those inflation expectations actually punch through 2.6% on a 10-year forward average basis. So that's the highest level in a decade. So in our view, Governor Bullock has already paved the way for a rate hike, and that CPI outturn and the rise in inflation expectations is just confirming the fact that she'll go again at uh, Cup Day. All right. Thank you, Matthew. I love the definitiveness. And just uh, for our listeners who might not know where the SOM fits, it's the Statement of Monetary Policy. Ah, uh, yes. You have to always interpret what us economists say, our, our economic <laughs> speak. <laughs> well done. Indeed, indeed. Matthew, even though it was missed against the quarter, as we said, the annual rate is still declining. In fact, we're seeing pretty big pullback there, which is pleasing, I imagine, for the RBA. So we had a peak of 7.8% in the December quarter. And last quarter, we were sub uh, 6% and 5.4% in the September read. So definitely in the right direction there. But the question is, has that momentum swung in inflation given that most recent miss? Is we seeing the end of the trend, a downward trend, or is this just a one-off? You're right. The annual rate's coming down, but 
the quarterly rate, that, that's where the momentum that you're referring to is. That's actually burst and gone up in this last quarter. And that's what's concerning us, that maybe what we're seeing is the end of that downward trend in the annual rate if that quarterly number keeps uh, rising. Mm. Now, there's a few drivers of inflation in the September quarter that are now showing signs of easing. It's not all momentum on the upside. Uh, rental growth, even though it's elevated, and I know it's still hurting a lot of people, it looks like it's peaked at an annual rate of just over 7%. And the more timely monthly data that we're now getting out from the ABS on CPI, that's that's actually showing a fall in the annual rate. And so the monthly momentum is actually falling, been falling steadily there um, since June from an annualised rate of over 11% to uh, 7.8% currently now. I know that's more comfort for people paying high rents, but at least that inflation rate is coming down. Electricity is another one, Alison, that we all are feeling the pinch one. Now, we saw Absolutely. a one-off jump in the third quarter, and that's due to the, the timing of the flow on of high wholesale prices, they get passed on to customers following the annual price reviews that the authorities set back in July. So that's like a one-off jump. It won't be repeated now for quite a while. And finally, even given the Middle East problems, petrol price inflation is not going to repeat the 7% leap we saw in the September quarter. And that will be the case even if unleaded prices continue to average $2 a litre over the December quarter. And that's because petrol prices have already risen to a high level. And even at $2, there'll be virtually no inflation. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean petrol prices are coming down, Alison, but it means that the inflation will come down. You know, So we're expecting there to only be about a, a 1% quarterly gain in uh, petrol prices over Q4, not the 7% we saw in September. So that's all sounding pretty positive with a couple of one-offs perhaps just leading to this impact in September. So given that, do you think that this hike that they're putting in uh, potentially on cup days, you've predicted, and, and others have as well, including the market pricing that in, can we expect to see rate cuts in 2024, like a quick unwind on that basis? Well, unfortunately, the problem is no. So even though there were one-offs contributing to this relatively strong inflation outturn this quarter, when you look at the detail, even though the other, you know, bulk of the other prices weren't rising as sharply as that, they were still stubbornly high in health we have medical and dental inflation. It's, it's not coming down in transport outside of petrol prices. We've got car prices, public transport. They're not coming down. Inflation there's not coming down. In leisure, we've got restaurants and accommodation and digital media fees, you know, your Netflix, those types of fees. They're not coming down. And you've also got uh, local government rates rise. And in short, Alison, services services are things that are feeling the pressure on price. And where's that coming from? It's coming from rising wage costs and strong demand that are propping up inflation in those areas. And, and this is where the RBA and monetary policy steps in by raising interest rates, unfortunately, to damp demand. Now, the RBA and monetary policy can't do much about oil prices. It can't do much about foreign prices of goods and services. It can do quite a bit about prices that are, that are driven by domestic factors, and that is 
demand factors, demand side factors. So that's why we think they'll, they'll have to raise rates and they'll have to keep them at that higher rate for, for a, a period of time. We are not factoring in a rate cut until the second half of next year. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast from discussing markets and economics with Dr. Matthew Peter. Alison, before we sign off, we've been following the US corporate earnings season and you've been giving us these uh, fantastic updates of how it's been evolving, particularly critical given the importance of both what's happening in capital markets with respect to interest rates and then what's happening to earnings in terms of giving us guidance about what's going to happen to equity markets around the world, particularly in the US. And the last time we spoke, we were just at the start or just getting into the reporting season. We're now getting much deeper into it. So how are we tracking? It's been a really interesting week, Matthew. To date, we've had 34% of companies in the S&P report, so a little bit further through, as you've indicated. And of those... 78% have had positive earnings surprises, so a pretty good outcome. And interestingly, though, we have had some of the bigger companies report. And when I say bigger companies, they're not the companies that we used to refer to. We're now talking about the Magnificent Seven, these Mm. tech stocks that, you know, has been such an enormous driver of returns in the US over the year. Of those, we had Microsoft report. Um, It had some strong numbers and the investors really liked the narrative in relation to the AI theme that it's really putting through its entire business. On the flip side, though, we had Alphabet report, which actually did beat earnings expectations. But the market had some real concerns about the results uh, that it received from its Google search platform, which has really seen that being a little bit more soft in the last few days. And even more recently, we've had Meta report, which is the owner of Facebook, and it has reported softer than uh, expected advertising earnings. And it's also indicated that it thinks that softness might persist a little bit further. So that has seen the market being a little bit concerned about the outlook for, I guess, those two companies. But more broadly, it's led to a bit of a malaise in the tech sector to some degree from Mm. what has obviously been an incredibly strong period of returns. So interestingly, just overnight, we have hit a point where the market has now come off 10% from its peak in Mm. July. So Mm. that would be officially considered contractionary territory. And it's really interesting to sort of observe how that will go. And we've also seen some softness in the S&P, although really perhaps not as soft as one might expect from all of the turbulence we are seeing in the world, not only from a geopolitical perspective, but also those movements in bond markets we've talked about. And, Mm. you know, look, I just look at that and go, look, perhaps it is just the fact that markets are becoming a little bit more aware that, you know, many of the stocks are really priced for perfection in terms of earnings expectations. And we are entering what has to be a volatile environment going forward, notwithstanding the fact that we have had some surprisingly good numbers from the US GDP, which came out at uh, 4.9%. Yep. Yep. So look, it's, outstanding, it's mix, it, outstanding mm. numbers. So you can kind of see where I guess those earnings surprises are coming from. And overarchingly, the market is still doing well, but perhaps a little bit of awareness that maybe not everything's as rosy in the future as Mm. it could be. I've heard you talk about the big seven and the the changing dynamic that that can bring to the uh, S&P 500 because of the monopoly nature of those businesses. I suppose it enables them, the argument I've heard you put forward is it enables them to be a bit more independent of the business cycle, you know, in terms of their earnings. There is a real element of that of the, and I think, you know, the US government will be attuned to the sort of the monopolistic Mm. or, you know, that sort of enormous pricing power they have because of the reach they have across the economy. I mean, they're not obviously infallible. There is sort of reliance on things like subscriptions, um, advertising revenue, those sorts of things as well. But their reach is enormous and their ability to to grow and transform is, is strong. And I think they are all exposed to that AI thematic as well, which is, you know, really seen as a potential way of 
boosting productivity, which yeah. is really what we need to sort of keep the economies growing. So as you said, I do watch it quite closely and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, very interested to see how it continues to unfold over the next couple of weeks. You said that we're off 10% from the highs. Where do you see things going from here? Still downside risk? I do think so. That that was 10% in the NASDAQ, was slightly less in the S&P. I just right, think that right. when you have a look at where analyst earnings expectations for earnings sit, you know, they are really factoring in, you know, above trend earnings. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. hard to see in an environment where the Fed is deliberately engineering a slowdown, notwithstanding it hasn't quite achieved it yet, perhaps to the extent that it would like, but it is engineering a slowdown. It's hard to see how that can't be impacted to a degree. So I do think there is some potential further downside risk for uh, equities from that perspective, as well as considering in those real bond yields. We've had the US uh, real yield hit 2.5% during the week. That has an impact as well. So look, the market can always prove you wrong for a long time, but I do think there are some risks to the downside from here. Matthew, thank you very much for joining me this week. Appreciate your time. And thanks also to our listeners for taking 10. 